contract paid me a lot of money to tell you that my top is green. Green? My belt is black. My gloves are brown. I just my paid $600 for this. Orange. Caramba, caramba, porque no te decía. No siente. Hello and welcome to the Not Ready for Primetime podcast. We're Gary Seath and Brad Robinson. Here now, the podcast. This week, we're talking about season two, episode seven, with host Dick Cavett and musical guest Rye Cooter. This show originally aired on November 13th, 1976. Brad? Uh huh. Elliot Gould's not back, <laughs> unfortunately. <laughs> Thank you. No, no, he's not. No, Elliot Gould, sadly. Well, I know you're a big Elliot Gould fan and not such a big Dick Cavett fan, so... I want to be a Dick Cavett fan. I do. They must have brought him back for a reason, so I was... I think I said it after season one. I'm like, I'm looking forward to when he comes back to seeing what they do. Right, because last time we felt like it wasn't all Dick Cavett's fault. No. The writing was very poor on that episode, let's just say. And they didn't give him a lot. They didn't give him a lot, which yeah. they at least did this time. They at least gave him stuff to do, which was fun a little bit. And at least good for him. He got to do some stuff, which was something. Yeah. More than he could say for it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, good. I don't know. Uh, yeah. Anyway. <laughs> well, do you know why Dick Cavett was hosting the show this week? Other than filling in for Elliot Gould? No. No. Do you? No, there's no reason whatsoever. Okay, great. Oh, we're on the same page. (laughs) I did try to look up and find out how true it was or whatever. And I mean, I guess it was a legit thing. Yeah, like Elliot Gould was supposed to host and he was recording apparently Olivia Newton-John special, a special (laughs) Olivia Newton-John that aired the following week on ABC. But I couldn't find, you know, did it go long or what the issue was? I guess it was in California, so he couldn't get back. I don't know when. They made right. the call that they had to sub him in. I'm guessing it was somewhat last minute because, you know, who's available? Dick Cavett. Dick Cavett's hanging around New York looking for something to do. He got nothing to do. No. But yeah, other than that, I legitimately think that's it, that he was the one who was available. Well, this is our first show post-Chevy. Mm-hmm. They are back in 8H after they are three back shows home. in Brooklyn. That was nice to see. I definitely noticed. Yeah. You could definitely tell. Yeah. Just the audience interaction it's itself. Just something about it. Yeah. You just tell yeah. like you're back. Yeah. That felt good. Uh, yeah. And that's, <laughs> that's, that's I mean, what I got. We'll get into it. It starts out well. It, it has promise. Yeah. For the first few segments. I was enjoying it for a little bit. Yeah. And there, there's some callbacks with mm-hmm. old characters that they brought back, which was fun. Mm. So. I mean, should we just get into it? I mean, there's no need to delay. So the cold open starts with Gilda speaking for Chromatrack. So this is Gilda doing a TV spot, Mm -hmm. essentially. And then it goes to Garrett, who's watching the TV spot. And the whole bit is Gilda saying, my hair is red. My scarf is green. Whatever. 
which is a play on a real commercial at the time, the RCA color track it was, which was basically the same thing. It was celebrities, actresses, or actors, I guess. My skin color is this. My hair is this. My dress is that. So it was, it was, a, it was, a, it was a fun parody to start things off with. It was. It was different. It was fun to see Gilda. Mm-hmm. It's great to see Gilda. Yes. Yeah. And then when it goes to Garrett watching this TV, he's saying that he spent so much money on this TV and their colors are all wrong. So he starts hitting the TV and then Gilda's acting that out on stage. And then he hits the top and she falls and comes back with the first live from New York for anyone other than Chevy Garrett that one time and then President Ford. Yeah, first female cast member to say it, and just finally somebody else, which was nice to see. <laughs> been waiting. I've been waiting weeks for this. Yeah. Uh, that was the most fun of this cold open, was to see her. Like, she had so much fun saying it. Like, you just tell she was so overjoyed. Yeah. And it was. It was fun to see somebody else do it. And as a sketch, I liked it. I actually thought this was going to be an actual sketch. Like, it felt like an actual sketch, especially when they cut then to Garrett in the right. other set. I was like, oh, maybe this is an actual sketch and not just, <laughs> maybe this is finally something more than just a setup for a fall. Right. And it actually wasn't. It actually was just a setup for a fall. <laughs> Essentially, yeah. But I did like that interplay between the two sets with her on the one set acting yeah. and him hitting the TV and her reacting to his hitting. Like that was kind of fun to see. It was fun. It was something different. Again, trying yeah. things, right? Yeah. Seeing what you can do. But like I said, most of all, I just, I love seeing Gilda scream live from New York. That was, yeah. it was just so fun to see. And she looked so happy doing it. And yeah. she had a lot of energy doing this whole sketch. So. Yeah. Like I said, yeah. I think this episode starts off well. The first few segments I really enjoy, including this. I agree. And then we have our monologue. And I was noticed right away like oh back at 8h home base my first note it's nice to be home isn't it just yeah. like something about it like you just tell it was all there and everybody it, yeah it was definitely louder i felt like you know mm. the audience i don't know remember in brooklyn we were saying yep. like the third yeah. show in brooklyn they finally put seats down well they had more people the yeah, exactly right 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 and that still wasn't nearly as loud as this reception mm. was for dick cavett who came mm. out to do his monologue which was questions from the audience. So he pulls cards out of his pants and starts answering questions from the audience. I don't know. I was I was surprised that he pulled the cards out of his pants. Huh. But for what this was, it seemed like they were legit questions from the audience. Many oh, of them. I don't, I don't know about that, but I'm what? not knocking it. I thought the, the card jokes were funny. You know, people asking questions to Dick Cavett. Some seemed serious. Some were jokey. Right. I thought he did a really great job with them, like delivering the answers. Yes. It was really funny, especially compared to his first time he hosted where his monologue was atrocious. I actually thought this was really funny. It just, unfortunately, I think went a little too long. Yeah, that was my note too. Uh, yeah, but as a concept, it was good. And again, I was excited. I'm like, okay, great. Dick Cavett's proving he's better than he was last time. This monologue's enjoyable. There's good jokes to be had. I'm excited to see where we go. No, I totally agree. I was excited with this monologue and happy that Dick Cavett was, I don't know, he seemed a lot looser too than he did this first time. And funnier. I mean, he just, there were things were clicking in this and it was a good thing for him with his sensibility and who he is as opposed to trying to do like a stand-up routine. Right. It made sense. The question and answer thing made sense for him and he did a good job with it. Yeah. I'll do the best I can. We had these cards handed out because I've always wanted to know what the audience thinks in, in this comes to this show. 
And also, I thought having a card that say, I would like to ask Dick Cavett the following question would make it quite clear who the host is tonight. For the... So I'll just run through these. How did it feel being married to Barbara Streisand? <laughs> Have you ever been in therapy? We're available for consultation. Margie Steinberg and Debbie Lamberti. Or is that, are you here? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Leave a picture of your couch. Will you? <laughs> Uh, do you enjoy live audiences? Uh, yes, in fact, we're thinking of bringing one in here. <laughs> oh, I'm sorry, I think you're gonna be okay. We know your wife is a Broadway actress. Do you ever talk about, you never talk about her on TV. Uh, I don't see why I should. She never mentions me in her plays. At the end of his monologue, he throws to our first pre-taped commercial of the night, which is a commercial with Gilda and Lorraine for puppy uppers. <laughs> I love this. And doggy downers. Love this one. This was fun. So they're just playing a game and Gilda's dog is just lying at her feet, not doing <laughs> anything. And Lorraine asks her what's wrong. And she mentions that she gives her dog puppy uppers. And then the dog is like a big, it's like a Doberman or something. Yeah. And Gilda gives her this puppy upper and then it cuts to, it's a well, small. Well, the dog jumps to life, first of all. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He right. jumps to life and is all excited and then like runs <laughs> off screen. And then they cut away. One week later, and the ladies are playing Scrabble again. <laughs> and the dog is smaller and skinnier and just a tiny version of it. It was fun. I, I, this was a lot of fun. My favorite part of the sketch still hasn't happened yet. And I've quoted this. This is another one I've quoted for like 30 years. The dog's all peppy and it's jumping and it's going crazy. And Lorraine's like, oh. What you should do is you need to give that dog some doggy downers, <laughs> which I think is so much funnier than the, I don't know why, but doggy downers to me is so much funnier than puppy uppers. So like anytime for, again, the last 30 years, I like seen a crazy dog yelling or excited. I'm just, I look at like, give that dog some doggy downers. <laughs> so I've always loved this one. I think this is really funny. It's a great bit. Rosie Schuster wrote this, I believe. And uh, it's just so funny and smart. Yeah. I don't feel like we see Lorraine often in this like slice of life thing. She's always no, like some a, weird, crazy yeah. character. And it was fun to see her in this kind of controlled environment. It was. Um, if you read the, uh, the Saturday Night Live book with all uh -huh. the sketches that came out, this yeah. is in there. And in the, the notes that are written on it, it was originally written that the dog would be humping her leg and they wanted a male <laughs> dog. And the notes inside the book are like, you sent us a female dog. This dog can't hump. <laughs> So it, was, it was funny. I was looking at that yesterday. After that, our first sketch is a legit sketch mm -hmm. where Dick Cavett is playing a legit character. He's not playing Dick Cavett. He's playing John Dean, who was a White House counsel for Richard Nixon. And I never realized, like, Dick Cavett is a spot on. Right? He's a good John Dean. I, like, not necessarily performance, but look-wise, he looks yes. like John Dean. <laughs> I looked up John Dean and then I looked at the picture of mm -hmm. Dick Cavett and I was like, wow, he's yeah, pretty good. Yeah, it is very good. But this is all about uh, John Dean had written a book and it starts off with the Watergate trial. Al Franken, like off camera, that caught my attention. Al first. Franken does an amazing Senator Irvin. If you know Nixon and Watergate and all, like Senator Irving from Texas, who spearheaded the committee, like Al Franken does an amazing senator irving voice off camera it's really yeah. good <laughs> he was really good and then we get we go back to the oval office and have dan again as the nixon with yeah. his incredible impression he goes back to the good sex comfortable shoes and a warm place to go to the bathroom joke it's a great dig at nixon because we've heard this <laughs> yes. now twice and it was a 
obviously a big news story at the time of what was it, Butts, General uh, Secretary Butts, who got fired yeah. for the comments. But I think this is an amazingly smart way to dig at Nixon that Butts heard the joke from Nixon right, years right. earlier because <laughs> Nixon has that line. He's like, oh, it's a, but I got to tell him to Butts. He'll like that. Like it was, I thought this was a great Nixon dig that was by no means needed, but oh. just brilliantly delivered. It was perfect. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It was really funny. Yeah. And Gilda plays uh, Nixon's secretary. Rosemary Woods. Yes. So she she's the one who is allegedly responsible for the gap in the Watergate tapes. <laughs> yes. So she makes the joke in the sketch about, <laughs> oh, no one can mistake them but me. But in the testimony, she like made a mistake in transcribing. And there's like a picture of her famously where she's like showing what she was doing and how she hit the wrong button. And so right. that's who she was. And she does. Yeah, she's good in it too. John comes on as Kissinger. I felt like that part went on a little long. <laughs> it did. But that's when John's Kissinger works as like a side character to Nixon as opposed yeah. to a Kissinger sketch on his right. own. He comes in and Nixon's, what do you need? I'm busy. I'm too busy. Oh, you're busy? Well, I quit. See you later, pal. Yeah. <laughs> it's like really funny. And then Rosemary starts the recording. Yes. And she's like, just get him to talk into this lamp. And so Nixon starts singing into the lamp high hopes and dan's nixon is hilarious i I like the nixon but it for this is the first time he's done it where i felt the body language was a bit much it was almost like a little bit too much tom snyder because nixon isn't that flailing and i think dan does a great job with the voice and the tone and the character of nixon but for some reason in this sketch he's flailing his arms about every time he moves and like wiggling his body that seemed kind of off yeah I feel like Dan gave him more life than he actually had. Yeah, that's probably but true. Whatever. I mean, it's again, he made it a character. Yeah, it yeah. definitely is a character. Yeah. Then it is really good still. Because he had high hopes. He had high John. Well, John, I I was just sitting here singing to relax. I I've been working so hard on the business of running the country and national security matters and such that I really haven't had time to think about Watergate. Uh, I see. Well, Mr. President, I only came to say that I, I want to say, uh, well, I don't know how to put this, but you <clears throat> do understand, don't you, that I'm loyal? John. I am loyal. And You remember in March when you came in and told me that there was a cancer growing in the presidency? I certainly do, sir. Yes. Yes, I do. <clears throat> that was the first time I heard about it, right? Well, uh, yes, that... Well, now, that would be true if you do choose to take that line of defense, sir. Now, that's why I believe you must clear the air, because it's my feeling that Sirica will not stop at Hunt and Liddy. Oh, John, I know that Judge John Sirica is a fine and fair jurist in the tradition of the Italian people. Yes, sir. Sir, I, I just hope nothing that I would ever say could lead the prosecutors to, well, to, to call for your impeachment. John... You know, the first time I understood the sanctity of the presidency was after Ike had his heart attack. I, I sat behind this very desk here and I said to myself, someday I'm going to have my own presidency. There's going to be some changes made. I'm, what are you looking at? Oh, uh, nothing. Uh, I, I was just couldn't help noticing that your Shakespeare volumes are titled uh, Macbeth, Romeo and Juliet, Record, Stop, Fast Forward, Rewind, <laughs> and The Merchant of Venice, sir. <laughs> yeah, well... John, come here and sit down, will you please? Just sit on my chair. Dan does a good bit of chewing the scenery for a while to allow Dick Cabot to then run to a third set in this sketch. Right. Where he's in prison 
and he's sitting there and this was funny where he's sitting there and he's typing on the typewriter jade Curtin's already there she's like how's the book coming and he just looks oh hi mo <laughs> like he didn't realize his <laughs> wife was there and it was actually pretty good delivered it was funny yeah but then it seemed like this whole i, I don't know nine minutes was just like a very odd and long way to get to this punchline joke where she says, I think Ford will run again in 76. And that's when he's going to publish his book. And he's like, yeah. if I publish in 76, two things, there'll be very big sales for me and the presidency will go to Hubert Humphrey. Right. And because it was funny, this is the first episode they're doing since the election. Right. And it was kind of odd that the first political jab or whatever they do is not on the election at all. It's They go back and do Nixon. Yeah. Which is kind of an odd thing until this end, until the button on this sketch, which then jokes about <laughs> Carter winning. So I it was just, I don't know, it's a little weird that this is how they make their comment on the election. I didn't even see it as a comment on, I mean, I guess it's a comment on the election, but it's more about or just like, a reference, I should say, not a comment, but just even referencing it. Yeah. It's, it was an odd reference. Wait a minute. Well, reference. I mean, I thought it, yes, I agree. I thought it was odd to go back to Nixon, <laughs> Watergate, these things happened a few years ago now at this point, but it, it's also yeah, like even the committee hearings were years ago at this point. Yeah. Right. Yeah. But it's still, I guess in the zeitgeist and such a part of everything at this point, it was an interesting way to go. It was almost 10 minutes long. Yeah. It was a good way to fill time. I mean, three sets. I mean, Jesus. Yeah. And then everyone in the cast was exhausted from that big, long 10 minute <laughs> sketch. So they brought out Bry Cooter to fill some more time. <laughs> time. <laughs> uh-huh. He performs his song Tatler. And that's all I got. It- <laughs> Gary, I'm not, I'm not gonna lie to you. Yeah. Rye Cooter is a name I've heard mm-hmm. of for the last 30, 40 years. Yes. I had no idea who Rye Cooter was. Yeah. <laughs> and this performance did nothing for me to find it out. Well, it's interesting because Rye Cooter is he's like known as a, an amazing guitarist. Okay. And I didn't know that he was a singer also. Like oh. He was in Captain Beefheart and his oh. magical band and stuff. And, but he was always, I've known him, I know the name, I don't really know him, but right. as a guitarist. Okay. And I felt like that did not stick out to me in this performance. No. I was more focused on the guy playing the accordion to his right. Oh, Lawrence Welk? Yeah, he was good. <laughs> I wrote that Lawrence Welk too. <laughs> he was very That guy was very good. Yeah, I mean, I don't know. You know who Rye Cooter, what Rye Cooter feels like to me? No. This feels like an act Thomas Senna would dig. I, I knew you were going to drag poor Thomas into this. We should call him up. And he, I guarantee you, he can t- he'll give us the lowdown on Rye Cooter. So let's, we'll, let's just slip that in right here. I mean, this guy was like James Taylor Light, no? I don't, I don't know. I think that's giving him more credit than okay. he deserves, to be honest. And I'm not even a James Taylor fan. The set was cool. Sure. The set was cool yeah. as hell. This oh, it was also set, like... No? I feel like this is a new musical guest set because it looks fairly it permanent. Was... It looks like a big setup they've set up. No? I don't know. I kind of felt like we've seen this set before. Mm, it was just... Maybe. Li- it just felt brighter. Um. Yeah. I don't know what the hell this was. Whatever. Well, I saw it as a lead-in to Gilda, who was introducing the host for next week's show, Paul Simon and mm-hmm. George Harrison. This all leads up to... Jane's first stint as permanent host of Weekend Update. Yeah. So she comes on and she's reading. A, she's not on the phone like Chevy usually was. She's reading a magazine. 
I love this opening. She's reading Ms. Magazine instead of talking on the phone. I uh-huh. think this is a great idea. Yeah. No, I thought it was good. It didn't really land with the audience. Yeah, something about it missed a little. I think it maybe went along a little too long. Yeah. But it is funny. And then she just pokes a hole through it. and I think maybe that was it. The poking the hole through didn't. Yeah. People didn't know how to react. First joke of the night, though, was the prostitution stamp joke. Yeah, call back to episode one. I like that, too. I thought it was a, I don't know, with homage or whatnot, but I, I like that they made a call back to day one. I do. You could tell Jane's getting used to sitting at the desk, had problems a couple of times looking <laughs> at the used to alternating cameras. cameras. Yeah. Yeah. And it finally got to her near the end with that Jimmy Carter joke where she's just at the end, she's like, well, we could try it again on that camera. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. I wrote that down. Like, mm-hmm. <laughs> she was just fucking pissed. She's like, but you did a good job. Like, oh, hello. Oh, hello. She had the Sybil joke about the Sally Field film or show where she plays 16 different characters and then she rattled off 16 different impressions in a row. Actress Sally Field is making a comeback in a four-hour drama, Sybil, to be televised on NBC. Adapted from the book, Sybil is the story of a woman who took refuge in 16 different personalities. Sally welcomes the challenge of this role and feels she is competent to pull it off, as she recently told this reporter. Thank you. It's nice to be here. Should I check your oil, ma'am? And now it's time to play Double Jeopardy. We'll call the baby Jesus. Je m'appelle Emma Bovary. Franklin, stop playing with Paula and come to bed. Good yante, Rabbi. I do. Who was that masked man? I'm Chevy Chase and you're not. Come on, Sandy, we gotta find Daddy Warbucks. $20 for me, $10 for the hotel. Every boy wants a Hasbro toy. Hey, I bet! I am not a crook. Lassie, it's me, Timmy. And as God is my witness, I'll never be hungry again. Threw a Chevy joke in there. I'm Chevy and you're not. Yeah, it's good. I thought that was really good. Mm-hmm. And then we, she goes to Lorraine. I thought this Lorraine bit worked. You did? Yeah. I did not. And it wasn't no. like a voice thing or anything. I just don't know what the point was to this. I feel like there was nothing to it. She was just giving commentary. What did I miss? Because I felt there was just nothing there. She's reporting that because Smokey the Bear had died. The joke that I enjoyed was Smokey the Bear wanted to be cremated. Mm -hmm. And then his cremation started a giant forest fire. Oh, I missed that connection, I guess. And then it comes back and they make a Gene Shalit joke that he's going to be the new spokesperson for forest fires. But yeah, the fact that Smokey the Bear's cremation started this giant forest fire. Because he did die. That did happen that week. There was a real bear in the National Zoo. Smoke the bear died. Yeah. But yeah, I was missing the connection in the video. The video on the back. I, yeah, I just, I don't know. The old video toaster wasn't working great. You couldn't tell that it was <laughs> fire. <laughs> and then we go to a pre-taped commercial. Yeah. With Garrett dressed as a Marine walking down the street. First person he talks to, Alan's Bell, in the same jacket he was wearing. It wasn't, he wasn't the first person? No, the first person was Joe Disco, their stage manager. He walks and the guy shakes him off. It's why Bell's second. Oh. We can go back if you want. Let's go back. No, 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 no. It's too late now. But then he does hit Why Bell, and I had that same note. Is he wearing the same suit he wore in the Dean sketch? He is wearing the same jacket. Yes. <laughs> I didn't really pay attention. I was. It's funny because I, at the end of this, still was wondering what the hell this sketch was about. And I apparently paid attention. 
It's a Marines commercial. And Garrett, did you say Garrett's dressed in his Marine getup as he talks uh-huh. to these guys? And then, yeah, he ends up getting Schiller and they turn around and kind of walk almost arm in arm and they walk off together off camera. And then after they walk off, you get the title card, the Marines looking for a few good men. Yeah. I was, yeah, I don't know. Yeah. I mean, I th- I just read it as another gay joke. Yes, I agree. But it feels like it didn't push that far enough to be that you know what i mean like they Mm -hmm. were so it was i don't know so subtle in the acting of garrett and tom that it didn't sell the point they were trying to make whether or not that point was worth it or not i don't know you know it was not subtle oh what the obvious michael o'donohue (laughs) tag on weekend update when we go back yeah oh no i wasn't i wasn't even gonna talk about that oh no no i was gonna say what was not subtle was john's performance in the next bit oh crossroads Yeah. But what actually originally caught my eye on this was Dick Cavett's wig and mustache that he was wearing. Yeah, good for him. I was happy for him. He's getting into yeah. it. No, no, no. Totally. Oh, oh, I you was, didn't mean it as a bad thing. No, no, no. Oh, it just okay. This was the first time we had seen him in a wig and makeup. Oh, and it, that's true. Yeah. It caught me off guard because I was like, oh, look at you. He had a bit of an accent going on too. Like he was uh-huh. definitely playing a part. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, totally. he was. I mean, I, I, we'll get through the sketch, but even at the end, I thought he was good. I liked his character. I thought he did a good job in this. Yes, I agree. I th- So he's doing this thing, Crossroads, and it's going to see a look in on a family at crossroads and Dan plays the father and John's his son. And John goes into this whole thing on how he wants to quit school and just start working. And Dan hits him and John flies off the chair. Yeah. And then Gilda comes in. She's the wife, the mother. And then John says, mom, like, well, Dick precludes that with like, well, he'll go to his mom who always loved him. And maybe she'll be a little bit more caring. And that's the setup for then John giving the spiel to Gilda. Yeah. Yeah. And then she hits him and he flies off. And then Dick knocks at the door, which I was like, yeah. I, was, I was confused. He went from the narrator to <laughs> taking part in whatever like this is. This is so stupid. I like that part, actually. <laughs> and then John talks to him and he hits him and John flies off. Yeah. Yeah. That's what this sketch is. Yeah. This um, sadly feels like the unfortunate beginnings of the let's find ways for John to fall over ideas. Like, let's figure out a sketch that John can flail about. And that's what I got from this sketch because it felt overall, it just felt thin. Like, there's nothing really there. Like you said, he plays the son, he's complaining to his dad, he's going to quit school and get a job and make money. And he just gets hit. And then he does the same thing to his mom. And he's going on and on. He just gets hit. And it's just like, there's just nothing there other than let's slap John, let John take a fall. Yeah. So I don't know. I, I mean, I think Dick Cavett was the best part of this sketch. <laughs> like I said, his character was good. And I liked his summary of the situation when he sits yes. down at the table and he's like, punks like you, you should have been slapped years ago. Yeah. He's very good. It's just a shitty sketch. I mean, I agree with you. The highlight definitely was Dick Cavett. I'll give him credit. Yeah. So let's, let's not pin this one on him. <laughs> no, 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 no. He's doing the best he can. <laughs> yes, he is. I was surprised in the next sketch that we didn't see George Coe because we saw Chevy Chase (laughs) in a pre-tape as Dr. Robert Liebman, the mobile shrink. So it's an ad for a TV show on NBC where he plays a therapist. A mobile therapist. A mobile therapist who goes to all of these job sites and stuff and talks to everyone. It was fine. It was... (laughs) I mean... 
you know, part of the deal of Chevy leaving was that they did a bunch of these pre-tapes so they could, you know, sprinkle them out a little bit and kind of stretch the Chevy factor after he was gone. So Sure. Uh, this didn't need Chevy, though. I, this didn't need anything. That's what I'm saying. Like, this could have been George Coe, and it uh, would have been the same. It <laughs> would have been the same sketch. Yeah, there wasn't a lot of, like, Cheviness in it. I agree. It was no. just, he was playing a part, and it wasn't a Chevy part. So, I hear what you're saying. Um, the interesting tidbit, the woman who was in the his office when they do the intro for the show, yeah. and he's actually in his th- office and he leaves, is uh, Anne Risley, who goes yeah. on actually becomes a cast member in season six. So it's kind of cool. Yeah. That was a look at what's coming up on NBC, I guess, with <laughs> Chevy. And then we come to a talk show hosted by Jane. Y- yes, but... <laughs> I am so disappointed in the sketch. And the reason why is Yeah. My first note when the title card comes, how things work was this better be Dan. Oh. Uh, as much as I love Jane as a talk show host, how do you have a sketch explaining how things work and you don't have Dan Aykroyd in there? Right. Well, this wasn't actually how things work. <laughs> Doesn't matter. Well, this I don't know what this was. <laughs> this was like theoretical. If this was a machine, it was like how do cars work? Then yeah, you need Dan. But Dick Cavett plays Merle somebody. Mm-hmm. Good enough. But he talks about how the only reason he got booked on the show was because of pressure put on the booking agents. That is all. Fake pressure because Fake all, pressure. all these thousands of letters came from his bogus group. <laughs> right. Yeah. And then, I, I don't know. And then they talk about some ethnic jokes. They talk about groups that he represents. Yeah. Like Italian-Americans and then the Serbo-Croatians. And really, all this was was uh, a, yep. a lead into an intro yep. to a Gary Weiss film. Jane did her best. I got to give Jane credit. She did her best. Oh, I don't think this falls on Jane no. or Dick Cavett. Oh, like right. this, <laughs> this is not on either of them. They just went out and read what was on the cards. I liked her line at the end, though, where she's like, "Next week, Senator Bob Dole comes on to explain how TV debating works." How's it going? Then she intros Gary. Are she, you want to talk more about that? No, I just wonder, and we kind of touched on the beginning but like at what point did they realize elliot gould wasn't coming because i feel like you have certain stuff in your wheelhouse you'd pull out for somebody like elliot gould and do you chuck that aside because you're like well elliot would be great in this sketch but dick cavett can't pull that off and so like are you scrambling because like this strikes me as a sketch that was like thrown together because you realized elliot gould wasn't coming (laughs) and what can you do with dick cavett put him in a seat and talk to jane Maybe, but that whole Richard Nixon sketch was predicated on him being Dean, right? And that's... It was. Oh, but you know, we didn't talk about this either when we did the actual sketch. Um, That sketch, I think, was a holdover. Um, I found pictures of of Buck Henry sitting... (laughs) Really? (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) So, uh, there's pictures which I have pieced together. must be from dress rehearsal from the Buck Henry episode. And Buck Henry is in a wig sitting behind the White House desk and uh, Dan Aykroyd's there as Richard Nixon. And then there's another photo with Dan as Nixon and John as Kissinger and Chevy's in the background. I'm guessing that they wrote it for Buck, which you could see because it's a meaty sketch. Like there's a lot going on. Yeah. And so they wrote it for Buck as John Dean, Chevy, I'm guessing playing was playing Halderman. And then when they moved it they had to rewrite it because chevy wasn't there anymore so they made chevy's character gilda oh interesting and they're like 
Dick Cavett looks like John Dean. You do it. But they had that whole meaty sketch go to dress, and then they're just like, wow. All right. I don't know. But back to this sketch, I still maintain this was thrown together Thursday night. (laughs) That's very possible. But they just, they introduce a Gary Weiss film, which turns out to be the novelty store Gary Weiss film from season one. Yeah. It's sad that they're now rerunning Gary Weiss films. I mean, yeah, this is our third pre-tape of the night already, right? Oh, I'm aware. So. I know. I mean, the other hand, it was either either replay this Gary Weiss film or give Ry Cooter a third song. I'm sure. (laughs) I'm sure this had nothing to do with it. And we and I like this the first time we saw. Yeah, it. I yeah, yeah. Like this, I agree. Pretty this good. is yeah, and it actually even worked a little bit better for me. And I don't know if you realize this connection. And I'm I can't believe this is why they would have done it. But the woman in the film has a line about midway through where she's talking about she has the Polish mug, mm-hmm. and that whole segment kind of worked for me because she's talking about how popular Polish jokes are nowadays and stuff. And it made me think to the intro. Where so you he, think they played this film? Specifically no, no, no. I'm not. I'm intro. just saying it was a funny coincidence. If they did anything, I think they made that sketch because of this. But even that's a reach. Friend of the pod, Neil Levy, is in the next sketch with lines. Give him credit. He's got lines, man. Say it proud. Yeah, it's a B sketch. And they hit up the wasp joke. I mean, they don't just hit up the wasp joke. They lay into the wasp joke. (laughs) It's the whole premise of the joke. So John and Lorraine play grandparents to Neil. And they, they, John, John's telling the story of how when they came to this country, everything they were and are minorities in this country run by wasps. The wasps ran everything. They were just insects looked down upon. And it starts with a flashback to Ellis Island, which totally caught me by surprise. Oh, yeah. I was not expecting them to go there, but they did. Well, I wasn't surprised by that. What I was surprised about is John leads into it with the first wasp I ever met. And I was so waiting to see Dick Cavett, not in costume, just Dick Cavett <laughs> straight up. Yeah. But no, it's Dan Aykroyd and Tom Schiller as Ellis Island. Uh, officials. Yeah. <laughs> That's what I was waiting to see, and I was wrong. <laughs> What's black and yellow and red all over? Well, I don't know. A dead bee covered with a newspaper. <laughs> Watch this. Ever had hives? <laughs> come on, let see your papers. papers. Come on, come on. Yes, sir, right here. All right, what are your names? Mr. and Mrs. Herschel Blausch Vasinsky. Bla- what is this? Blausch Vasinsky. Too hard to pronounce. From now on, you'll be Mr. and Mrs. Henry B. Oh. Get moving. Thank you very much, sir. <laughs> Boy, I'd love to dip my spoon in her, honey. <laughs> yes? So from the first, we hated the wasps. They called us insects. They called us pests. They sent us to special schools to learn how to talk like this. But we did love New York. The hustle, the bustle. It was exciting to a young bee who had just flown off the boat. Yes, this was America that held so much promise for the bee. For it was the land of milk and honey. 
So this whole sketch is just the story of discrimination of bees uh, at the hand of wasps. Yeah. Throughout history and John's time in this country. Basically. Yeah. I mean, I again, this was another long sketch, but... Well, it's it's another one with multiple sets. This one, I think, had four sets. <laughs> it's multiple sets, but it's, what I appreciated was it's multiple sets. John and Lorraine are in bee costumes in different iterations of their characters. Well, it's another instance. It's another sketch where they've got to buy time, again by Dan, chewing up scenery for a different cast member to run to another set. And then this time they up the ante because now they've got to change out of wigs and costume and makeup. And yeah, John changes four times. Lorraine changes two or three times. Yeah, it was impressive. It was impressive. I don't know, was it worth it? Like, I felt like they were purposely trying to, like, stretch themselves. Like, we're going to purposely do a sketch with four sets live with the same cast. What were they doing other than showing they could do it? It's an interesting sketch. I, I it feel like... It's interesting. It's just, I feel like they're just trying to show that they can do something. Yes. But then it turns out I that f- I all feel of like, these... I feel like we're just avoiding moving on to Ry Cooter. Am I wrong? Should we just do this? I feel like we're just trying to find a way to not talk about the next piece. Well, I was excited because we actually got to hear the accordion player. (laughs) I felt like the first number, he was just there. And I was like, when is this guy going to play? But the second number... Don't you worry. Stay tuned. He got his moment to shine. They played He'll Have to Go from Rye Cooter's 1976 album, Chicken Skin Music. After this... Mr. Mike is back. Yes. With Mr. Mike's least loved bedtime stories. This one's about the blind chicken. And he gets his name for the first time, Mr. Mike. Yeah. So there's that. It's even on the Chiron, right? Yeah, it yeah. It says Mr. Mm-hmm. Mike this time. Yeah. Uh, and this is about a blind chicken who lives in a swamp and answers the door to an alligator and the alligator eats him. That's it. That's the story, but I, I liked it. Knock, knock, knock. Who is it as the chicken? I'm a, uh, uh, oh, what do you call those things? They're yellow and they have the uh, web feet. Um, you know what I'm talking about. They're always splashing around in the water and they go quack or something. A duck suggested the chicken. Uh, yeah, that's it, the voice answered. I'm a duck. Oh, come right in, Mr. Duck, said the chicken, unlocking the door. You know, for a second there, I was afraid you might be one of those alligators that infested the... And the alligator ate the chicken. Uh, that's about it, except uh, three, four months later, the alligator was sunning himself in the highway, and he was run over by a bus, a uh, big Greyhound scenic cruiser. No, wait, I'm sorry, I, I was just kidding. What actually happened was the alligator was in the forest, sunning himself on a log when he was run over by a hovercraft. In any case, he was, uh, just mashed the end. In closing, I would like to leave you with this thought about love. Love is a death camp in a costume. Good night. Yeah, I like his his bedtime stories. Yeah. It goes one, if not two beats too many. Yeah. The story of the blind chicken's funny. You know, the knocking on the door and he gets eaten by the alligator. And that alone would have been enough, I feel like. Yes. But then the next bit about the alligator goes and he gets uh, run over on the highway. Yeah. That could have been enough. But what you didn't, I didn't think you needed was the third piece then where actually no that wasn't true he was in the swamp and got ran over by a hut like that was like one too many yeah, yeah. no i get i agree with you 
But it was short, direct, and to the point. And, and then, and the the set itself, the lighting was really great. Mm-hmm. They really lit him from underneath, and with his glasses, he looked very like devilish. I was gonna say, well, it gives you these nice little horns yeah. on the corners of his glasses. Yeah, yeah. So aside from being a little bit too long, I thought it was great. Well, that was totally Michael O'Donohue. And then we get another sketch with the writers. Yeah, <laughs> we get a Franken and Davis piece. I would take it this week. Yeah. Oh, it was great. Dick Cavett introduces doctors, <laughs> Franken and Davis. <laughs> it's not funny at the beginning of the sketch, but by the end of the sketch is funny. Yeah. Yeah. And it was surprising to me at first, like how funny Davis was and Franken yeah. just kept making these funny yeah. faces on the side and like doing all the hand gestures to emphasize what Davis was saying. And they were going to measure laughter. From the audience. <laughs> they were from Johns Hopkins Semantic Psychology, School of Semantic Psychology. Not, yeah. not to be confused had, with semantics. Yeah, it was good. They had the laughograph and the tee meter. <laughs> Sometimes when we're just uh, joking around the lab, we call it the uh, hardy hardiograph. <laughs> True story. True story. Gets a little zany sometimes in the lab, but uh, at any rate, uh, using this equipment, we'll be able to uh, immediately compute your audience laugh response. So if you're all ready now, as I know uh, I am, I'll hand the uh, official survey instructions to my associate. Uh, He'll break the seal and read the instructions. We'll be able to begin tonight's survey. So I'll hand the floor over to my associate, Dr. Franken. Thank you, Dr. Davis. Welcome, Dr. Franken. Thank you very much. Just start. Just just start. Just start. So then they're just throwing out words to get laughs and the audience is supposed to react. But what was funniest to me was at the end, they said, well, wait a minute. Yes, yes, yes. Give us a chance to remove our disguises and they just take off the white coats that they're wearing. (laughs) We are actually the comedy duo of Franken and Davis. And that's why I was laughing. Like at the beginning of the sketch, him introducing them as doctors is not that funny. But by the yes. end of that reveal, it is very funny. I thought this was great. This was so much fun. I thought it was decent. It was very silly and funny. But to like what I was saying a little bit ago, I think after a night of trying a little too hard, this felt great. Yeah. These two knuckleheads on stage do it. This and Mr. Mike felt like a very good way to kind of end things up of just simple, fun, direct things. Yes. And that's what I really liked about it. And I I thought it was a strong way to end the show too with these two sketches that obviously could have just been time filler. You could have been like, yeah, Elliot Gould backed out at the last minute. We were lucky to get Dick Cavett and we don't have a full hour. Well, they're obviously looking to fill time because they get to the good nights and the first thing Dick Cavett says is, we thought we were going long and uh, we have two minutes or whatever. Yeah, we have 90 seconds. And I was surprised at the good nights that no one in the cast like, tried to help him. They all just stood there. Yeah, but I think that was more respect to him. Like, I don't think they wanted to upstage him. Like, it was his show. Like, let Maybe. him do it. I, that's, I know There's what you're saying. There's one point where he, like, turned he did to look the for cast help and second. they all just stared at him. <laughs> O'Donoghue like, who's smoking a cigarette. He's like, I'm a writer. Well, that was his yeah. answer, too. He's like, I'm <laughs> yeah. a writer. What do you want from me? Like, fucking write a joke, man. <laughs> I, I thought yeah, he did a decent job of, as anyone would filling time. It's yeah. It's I mean, like, what do you do when you're like, hey, you have 90 seconds. We're live. Go right. If you're not like a stand-up performer who has you know bits you just pull out of your back pocket, I thought he did a decent job as anybody could to 
by time. Yeah. <laughs> like you said, no. with, with nobody helping him. <laughs> I know. That was the part that I just felt like, oh, this poor guy. Because it's not like they even had the decency to not be on stage with him. <laughs> like, If you're literally out there by yourself, I think that's one thing. But when you're surrounded by the cast... And you get nothing from them yeah. at all. Yeah. Uh. <laughs> I didn't think about it when I was watching it, but I hear what you're saying. I don't think this show was as bad as his first time hosting. I felt like there was more there, but it was very, again, it was uneven. Like, I think most episodes are uneven. Mm-hmm. I thought this was very uneven. The Nixon sketch, you know, carried the first half of the show, literally, because it was the first <laughs> half of the show. <laughs> This is the second time we've seen Dick Cavett, and this is the second time I can say I don't blame Dick Cavett for how this show went. No, I don't disagree with anything you said, but on the same hand, I did not like this episode. And I wanted to. Like, I really wanted Dick Cavett to redeem himself after the first one. But, I mean, to your point, he you know, he was kind of put in a no-win situation. You're filling in for Elliot Gould, and who knows at what notice, so... That didn't help him. Right. I agree with you. You know, the writing wasn't there as much as it could have been. Again, I thought it started off really well. The new open was fun. Gilda was great. Great energy. Decent monologue for a guy Mm -hmm. who's not a performer per se. Uh, And a really great commercial parody. So, like, I thought they started off really strong. Yeah. And then you get four pre-tapes, two really long sketches that felt they were just trying to show off, (laughs) and a bad musical guest. I think it was just a mix of things that just didn't work. Yeah. It's what you just said. It was just, it was just uneven and maybe a little yeah. bit more uneven than most. The whole Nixon sketch, I thought Dick Cavett was really good. The Crossroads thing, we said he was the best part of that sketch. Yeah, but he, I feel he was the best part in a very weak sketch. Yeah, but that's he's not the writer. Oh, I'm not like, I'm not trying to blame him at all for any of this. If that I'm no, I'm not saying it's his fault. I'm just saying the episode in general just is yeah. not for, like, you know, like you said the writing. It's, there's just stuff wasn't there for him and you know, I don't know how much can he do and as we've said sometimes when you get hosts who aren't your Elliot Gould, your Buck Henrys, you know, the host can't help you out a little bit. Right. They're not going to bring extra stuff to it. Right. There's an interview he gives to Cavett does and he says, "I'm a great guest." I'm always a great guest. I know that it's a fact. He's like, I'm not trying to be smart, like whatever. But what I can't guarantee is I can't guarantee if I'm a good host because you never know what that entails and what you need. And it's like, you know, it's a a good example is, you know, you're, you're limited in what you can do, but there, there's definitely good things in it. And there's, you know, some, some bright spots. It started strong and ended strong. There's that, you know, just that middle 40 minutes. (laughs) (laughs) And the musical guest did not help. I'm sorry. He added nothing to like help the cause. No, he definitely did not, unfortunately. Hmm. Well, Brad, all that being said, what are your best bits? I go with Puppy Uppers. It's one of my favorite commercial parodies. Oh. I think it is really funny. I had actually forgot about it at the end. I was gonna. I was like, am I going to say nothing again for Dick Cavett? But no, I, I think Puppy Uppers is a great, great parody. It's good. <laughs> no, you wouldn't put it in there? I mean, I... I, no, I think I think that's fine. I don't know. I thought the the blonde ambition, the John Dean thing, was great. Talking it through, I could see you saying that. Yeah, yeah, it is good. It is it, it is good. I also I really liked that Smokey the Bear bit. Oh, that it was really quick throwaway. But let me ask you this: Yeah, did you like Dan and John's Nixon Kissinger back and forth better in this or in Final Days? 
probably in final days better okay. than this. Because yeah. it was more fun in this. That's why I asked. They had like a it more was... fun back and forth in this. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, that's true. I don't know. Something about John's Kissinger, like I like it to be short and sweet and like get in, get out. And not as playful. Like this was a well, little too playful maybe. Well, it was too long. Like mm, that, there was that uh, other sketch where he was yes. negotiating peace, right? Then yeah, that yeah, one yeah. just no, was I agree. Like it's it's yeah. Too much of that. I don't know. I also really liked the Franken and Davis piece. I really, yeah. I, I enjoyed it for what it was, but I didn't think really it was that strong of a piece. I just liked it in comparison to what the rest of the show was. But yeah, uh, but I I do think, as you said, it was good, and I think it will obviously open the door for more. As we'll start right. to see more Franklin right. and Davis, which I think is a good thing. Yeah, that's exactly what I want to see too. <laughs> They're fun, and especially once we start getting into season three, and and O'Donoghue's contribution influence starts to come down, and yeah, especially Franken starts to come up. We see those guys a lot more. Yeah, yeah. I forget how funny Tom Davis was. Yeah. And just the two of them together are wonderful. So I I really like yeah. that, and I'm looking forward to seeing more of that. Mm-hmm. We do next week. Next week we are talking about season two, episode eight, with host Paul Simon. <laughs> with <laughs> I know it's not going to be like I know, last you're season's good. Paul you Simon, so that's good. One. You could be the cranky one. Uh, I somehow doubt I will be still. <laughs> with musical guests Paul Simon and George Harrison as well. So until then, good night and have a pleasant tomorrow. Good night and have a pleasant tomorrow. Ready for Primetime Podcast is a Two Pints Productions production. Produced and edited by Brad and Gary. Thought about by Brad and Gary. Please rate and review. Thank you for listening. We'll see you next time. Bye.